Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Robert Gowan. You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. And uh, tonight I've got uh, some folks in the uh, chat room as I see it or on the live page on Mixler.com. That's MIXLR.com. And if you're not there already, please make sure that you jump out and join us so that you can ask any questions for this evening's show. Joining me is uh, Susan Dale, Mike Pritz, and we have a special guest host. That's uh, Kat Kalen. Uh, welcome to the show, Kat. Appreciate you for joining. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, we're not able to uh, to get Elisa on. We had some technical difficulties uh, with the feed, and um, that's very unfortunate. We'll try to work out some arrangement in the future, uh, but uh, Lisa was not able to join us. Um, and Scott and Rudy will also not be joining us this evening, so you've got the gang all here, and we're going to rock and roll. Um, we've got a really cool subject uh, this evening. It's really af- uh, affecting a lot of the veterans as they separate, and, and it kind of transitions really nicely from where we were last week, I think, um, talking about you know coaching and mentoring and those types of things because in a lot of cases, there are programs and services that are available to um, military when they separate, and um, some are familiar, some are not, but then some end up falling into situations where um, they, they end up with greater challenges uh, due to the transition and the things that they, either they experience while on active duty or just trying to relate back to the private sector and we'll kind of t- hit on those subjects. But um, I just kind of wanted to really open the show up, um, Mike and Susan and Kat, by talking about how for over 40 years, America's fought its wars with an all-volunteer uh, military and less than one half of 1% of the U.S. population is in the armed forces today. I, I found that really shocking um, that it's that small, and it's the lowest rate since World War II. This, this class of individuals continues to witness a divide between them and the public they're defending. They also have created challenges for military separating and seeking an opportunity to be re-socialized into mainstream society. But unfortunately, the separation is widening. And I, I found that really alarming when I read that. And the LA Times went on to say that even they felt 80% of this, uh, those serving today came from families who have a history of military service. And I know that I did, and I know Scott um, did as well. And Mike, I don't know if you did. Uh, Susan, I know you're a, a Navy brat. I'm sorry, an Army brat. Yeah, and I was a Navy brat, and so was Scott. Um, Kat, were you a... Um, no, no product nope. of uh, children. I'm the first in my family. First, okay, <laughs> Mike. I never did ask you, Mike, if you ever were. No, I, uh, so both of my grandfathers served in the military, um, but I, I think after that we had one. I had one of my uncles served in Vietnam, uh, and then several of the cousins, uh, a generation later, have served. You know, Sam Adams warned of the dangers of really having kind of an all-volunteer force back in 1776. And when I found this uh, piece, I found it also very interesting that he said, A standing army, however necessary it may be at some times, is always dangerous to the liberties of the people. Soldiers are apt to consider themselves as a body distinct from the rest of the citizens. And he kind of warned of that, that, you know, you don't want this divide and you don't want this separation. And we've talked about it in many podcasts about... You know, it's very important that those separating from active duty try to find ways to have commonality and socialize back into society. And uh, it's very important for uh, the private sector community to also understand the challenges of veterans and what they faced and not try to stereotype them um, or put them into, you know, blocks and everything. Um, so, um, you know, there, there are tons of things that 
again, that that go into this. And Kent, you had your own experience because of you recently separating. Maybe tell us a little bit about your, you know, your background and such, especially what what was the reason why you joined? Okay. Well, when I joined originally, I come from a super small farm town. Um, and I actually joined when I was 17. And at that time, I decided to because I didn't know if I was going to get scholarships. I, know it had, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't know um, how I was going to pay for it. And I didn't want to go into debt. So uh, I joined the Guard um, when I was 17, did the whole basic, split up went back to high school and then when I graduated high school my unit deployed to Iraq so after I got done with all my training I went and um, deployed to Iraq with my transportation company and uh, came back in 2007 Um, transition from that was uh, extremely difficult Uh, when I was in Iraq I was raped twice by a another military member so coming back from into a unit who they stigmatize you anyways for being a young female, um, you know, trying to wrap your head around what happened to you. That's what, you know, you volunteered to serve your country and then you, you deal with this other side of the war coming back, trying to, you know, I was 19 years old when I came back having to deal with all of this. And then, um, it took me a few years. What actually saved my life was uh, my first daughter when I found out I was pregnant with her because I, I felt like my life wasn't my own then. So that really kind of pushed me into a direction where I needed to focus on her and not myself, which, you know, with a lot of our veterans, it's um, they they don't know, they can't find an outlet on where they need to set their focus. So uh, luckily, lucky for me, I had heard who... I honestly say I was not a statistic because she did save my life. So um, I got into recruiting and retention, uh, went and trained a bunch of kids. Well, I wouldn't say kids, soldiers before they went to basic training. <laughs> and um, and then I got um, one of my recruiter buddies actually emailed me about the whole cultural support team uh, and support or female enablers to deploy with special operations. So like, well, shoot, might as well try out for that, and did it, made it, and went on to um, support the uh, 75th Rangers, worked with all three battalions, and actually I got to work with the Delta Squadron, which is pretty cool, and uh, from there, in the deployment, my, one of my sisters, um, well, sister-in-arms, was killed, she was the first to be killed um, on the battlefield, and that's uh, Ashley White Stump, who uh, Ashley's War is written by or written about, and from there I got back and I felt like my transition. Even though I didn't go through, I wouldn't say it was a traumatic event, and it does shake you to the core, but differently. As as far as being taken advantage of and becoming a victim to someone. Um, who you're supposed to serve beside, who's supposed to be a brother of yours, uh, the fe- the feelings are different, but the emotions and the actions are the same. And one thing, like a lot of guys that I know and girls that are transitioning that are having a really hard time, always they always ask, like, I just, I can't get control of what's going on with me. And I'm like, you feel, do you, and I would say for about two, two, two to three years, 
um, you feel like a giant toddler. Like you just have this, you want to have this emotional breakdown, but you, you're having like a, a conflict within your own brain and you just can't shake it. You're like, why can I, I've always been in control. I've always done great things with the military. I've contributed. I, I was a great soldier. And now that I'm out, I just, I'm in a whirlwind of, you just have no idea what's going to happen in it. And it eats you alive. And, um, for me, I was lucky enough to have a, have a significant other that took care of that. That was my emotional stability. So, but the problem is a lot that, you know, my, my husband is military, so he gets it. But a lot of guys and gals that are getting out of the service, they, they don't have a, you know, a support system that gets them. Yeah. And, and they don't, they don't have the, the, they, you know, you're going through all of the stuff that you don't even know what's going on. But like me, who I've been through it and I see it like, Hey, you know, like, let me, let me tell you, it's going to be okay. Like I've been right. through it. I luckily I had a support system, but you know, and that's where, like you said at the beginning, they, they're coming out of this transition. It's huge. They don't understand what the hell's going on. And then, um, you know, they fall apart. Finances fall apart. Families fall apart. And the next thing you know, you have a, um, the homelessness rises, suicide rises, healthcare with the VA, they don't know what to do with us. So, uh, yeah, the transition, I was probably from both deployments, both different, different aspects is honestly, it is the, it's going to be one of the hardest points in your life, especially if you try to do it alone. You know, the support group is such a big piece of it because what I found too in, um, you know, either through my own transition or everybody I've talked to is that, uh, if you don't have the support group, which is your family, your friends supporting you, a significant other that you might be mentioning, whether it's your brothers and sisters in arms or whether it's on the outside, a balance of those that were loved ones and friends and people that you can connect with in the network to maybe the industry you're going into and networking that we were talking about in previous podcasts of developing – then then that's that kind of core group that can at times keep you grounded in different ways, whether it's professionally or personally. And um, it's it's so important. But the, the challenge, I think, is, um, you know, I started the company Mentors for Military, but uh, the mentors part of it was very important to me with knowing that there are so many that are making that struggle. And it, it's not like you have a Rolodex or a phone book or a website or someplace that you can always go to to go, hey, these are the guys you can go and reach out to and talk to. It, it's not always readily available. It's not like you go through the transition assistance program and they go, Cat, sit right here. Here's all of our veterans in this database. Reach out, plug uh, you know, what it is that you're wanting to go into, where you want to live and everything. It'll start narrowing down through an algorithm exactly who it is that you could talk to, you know. Um, <laughs> And you don't know how you're going to react too when you get out. And the the one of the biggest problems is is that emotionally, you are going through so much that it it you don't know how to reach out. You know what I mean? So I think it's great that like you have this podcast and these websites and your business that offers these um, these options that vets can slowly or even like you're able to give a helping hand and slowly introduce them to things that they may be interested interested in because during that transition time, I mean, when I was going through it, I didn't have a clue what the heck was going on. And it would have been so great to have someone be like, Hey, like you did this while you were in the military, maybe your strong suits may be this, but even right. though you may be going through a lot of crap right now, 
it's going to be okay and you're going to get you're going to level out that's what, what vet right. here is like you will level out eventually and we we're here for you which is so awesome that you guys are doing this i just think it's it's amazing well, i appreciate it i My- wish i would have known about it before uh, and Mike, you, you, I mean, I know you counseled a lot of guys as well, uh, having just recently separated on this very same subject, as a matter of fact, just this past week, you know, about. Well, I, yeah, I, I would, I would concur with what you said, Kat. And it, it's a range of emotions. There, there are a lot of things that people don't tell you. Um, and I think more importantly, the system in place kind of, kind of leaves us hanging. It, it fails us in my opinion. And, and for a lot of, a lot of different reasons, and I'm not going to touch on uh, the ones particularly that you, you may touch on later or that you already touched on. But, but for me, um, I, I thought that, that I was a, a whole list of accomplishments that I've made over 30 years in the military and, and the, the process to help me transition was somewhat juvenile, you know, and, and I needed, I needed something. I needed Robert, man. I needed a guy who'd been out and in the executive world to sit down and talk to me and, and kind of tell me, Hey, Hey Mike, this is, this is a better way for you to go. And, and ultimately I took that responsibility on myself, and uh, and and I applied a lot of the things, and and these are the things that I, I, I try to counsel others on. Is you know we're we're good at a lot of things in the military. Um, if you listen to our podcasts in the past, cat, you'll hear us talk about mission planning and adaptability and some of the things in soft that we're all we all we all say we're we're the best in the world at. But it, when we transition, we don't apply those to ourselves. So what I'm trying to tell guys, kids, to use your words, I try to tell kids is uh, is when you when you're getting out, apply the same lessons that we've learned uh, throughout, you know, what, whatever, what, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years or 30 years, all the lessons that you've learned in the military, they're in your toolbox. Pull those pull those lessons out of your toolbox and uh, put them into, into work for your own transition. I think an important note, though, is like she said, we don't know how to ask. And in my case, you know, I served 22 years. I sat at a desk. I didn't do anything important in the Marine Corps. I'd literally <laughs> move papers from one side of the desk to the other. So I didn't get to deploy. I didn't get to do anything great, right? But also being a master sergeant when I retired, I thought that I was on top of the world. I knew what I was doing. I had a college degree with me when I left. And so it should be easy. But then I moved to a city where I knew no one. My husband got a job here. We have no friends or family here. I didn't know how to ask for any help. And I remember specifically the day that was my last day on active duty. I, it, it was such a hard day for me. And I remember sitting on the front porch bawling and my kids kept coming out and asking me, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And I was crying so hard I couldn't explain it. And then finally my husband came out and he was like, what is wrong with you? And I said, this is my last day of active duty in the Marine Corps. I enlisted on my 18th birthday. I've never been anything else. I don't know how to be anything else. So I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to act. I don't know how to do anything. And so it, that's, it's an important note because even for those of us who left after many, many years, had college degrees and everything, we still don't know how to ask. And I wish, you know, when I, like Mike said, our transition classes in the Marine Corps were not well, they're, they're not well taught. And um, I wish that I would have had somebody that said, hey, you need to do this, this and this. And even if it had been three important things, I could have then at least said, hey, now I'm onto something. Now I know where to go. Now I know what to ask. You know, Susan brings up a great point uh, when she says, I don't know how to ask. And that's that's the same thing within USOCOM. 
that we're trying to get over the hurdle with guys who are having who having problems. And, and you know, the statistic of 22 veterans committing suicide a day is it's tragic, uh, but it's very real. And a lot of the reasons that we see this is is because guys like us don't know how to ask. Man, you know, they they they've been they've been operators for so long. They've been they've had all that that responsibility lumped on them. There's an ego that goes along with it, and it's a big ego. And and when you we have a, a, a an ego like that, it's it's very difficult to ask for help. And uh, you know, just to bring something Robert out of the chat room, Vic Velkers commented that you know, uh, significant others are are affected by this as well. Yeah. You know, and, and to where to where Vic states that you know, um, they're afraid to see someone they perceived as strong as falling apart, and that's very true. And, and I think that contributes to the 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 difficult um, aspect of asking for help. Uh, from yes. from people like us. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I, Go ahead, Susan. No, I was going to say I agree with that. And and even for someone like myself who wasn't an operator, um, I have the Marine ego. You know, Marines think we're better than everybody else. No. It's the same. And Yeah, I know. <laughs> and But it's the same. And, and like you said, you know, I didn't want, you know, my family had always thought that I was it. I was the career Marine. I, had, I locked the family on. I was in charge of everything. And now all of a sudden I'm sitting on the front porch trying to be a stay-at-home wife and a stay-at-home mom. And like I told you before, and Kat, if you go back and listen to some of the old podcasts, it was my 16-year-old son at the time who finally said, Mom, you need to get a job. This is not for you. <laughs> you need to go get a job. So um, he was the one really who kind of saved me in, in, in the sense that I knew that being a stay-at-home mom wasn't for me. And uh, But I had to be told that by a 16-year-old. How sad is that? No, I, I completely uh, agree with you because... When I got back, um, uh, back to your, Robert, what you were saying about, uh, you know, with soft, how you, you know, you pump out your chest and you're, you, you're told all these things and you're supposed to be the best. And this is how, um, you know, Rangers and special forces and Delta, all these guys need to, to need to act because that, they are, they're, you're so heroic. And, and I remember when Ashley died, um, I had it just hit me. It, hit, I, it never, I've have never been a real emotional person, but when I found out that she died, it it just it dropped me to my knees. Like I I couldn't imagine. And I had a uh, a, a ranger because I I just I'm like man I just I cannot get control of these tears. They just keep flowing, you know. Like and he, and I remember him saying this, and and I'll never forget it. And it, and this is part of the stigma, is he looked at me and he said, "Cat, if you're gonna mourn." You need to go mourn in your room and get over it. And, you know, and that's what the, that's pounded in these guys' heads. Right. And like you said, with the, the whole suicide thing, I mean, you look at suicide rate amongst veterans that are in soft units. It's high. And it's because that's what's that's what's they're, they're you know, grown and like raised through regiment to, to do like, hey, right. I know that we're going to go out there and lose these guys. But I just got to suck it up and drive on. But the next thing you know, you're going to be sitting at home or getting out of the military. Or most of these guys, like, you're broke. So you're getting booted out of the military, even if you don't want to be. And you're sitting there and you're like, man, I have not dealt with any of this stuff. Now, it's that's it. You know what I mean? And that's right. why they're killing themselves. And it's, and it, you know, being able to, I think, compartmentalize emotions would help with the transition. Cause when I got, when I got done, like 
doing the whole CST thing. Like you were saying, Susan, like I, I'm like, man, I just got done doing this awesome mission. You know, we were, we were so praised. Like we were the little sister on the team. Like it was awesome. And then now I'm sitting in an empty apartment with a, a three-year-old daughter that barely even knows who I am. And, you know, as a single parent and I, oh my gosh, you know, like what am I supposed to do with myself? And it does, it, it kicks you in the butt so hard. And it luckily, like you said, your son saved you. Like my daughter saved me because I had to get up and go do something. And um, a lot of vets, they don't, you know, they don't have the understanding spouse. They don't have the little, the little voice saying, man, you're acting like a weirdo mom. You need to go do something with yourself. But well, I mean, if you think and about that, it, only half of 1% really get it in the first place. So you think mm-hmm. about that. I mean, you're trying to find people that either understand you because they know where, who you are, you know, and what your baseline is prior to going in, or um, they serve with you or know you because they're, they're also a veteran and, and they, they know what you're going through. Um, but if, like you said, if you don't have that and if you don't even have that support group, well, then you're just kind of hanging out there, and that's the reason why we find, you know, some of the challenges that we do out there with people trying to make that transition and struggling with it. Well, hey, Kat, I've got as a... being a mother, oh, go for it. No, I was just oh, going to go say ahead. that, you know, you, you, you told a, a really good story about how all the guys in SOF are top 1%, almost like professional athletes. Um, they, they, they We get this big ego and everything, but I, I'd like to hear – kind of how, how you approached it, because I mean, your background from my opinion is exactly the same. Uh, I'm, you know, the selection you guys went through, weeded you out from the majority of everybody, uh, all the other women in the military. We wanted the most physically fit, uh, the, the alpha females, the lionesses, you know, as it's, I think, put in the book. Yeah. But I, I think that you, you set a very high bar for yourself. You achieve it. And then that feeds the ego. So I think oh, yeah. that you're, you're experiencing the same thing that, that we experience when we separate. So I just kind of like to hear, you know, your own perspective, not, not what you think we did, but how did it affect Kat? Well, for me, see, now when I did the whole CSC thing, like you have thousands of packets. I was CSC too, which was still a pilot program, but um, it was CSC one. They don't like to talk about cause it was so jacked up, but CSC two with us, <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, well, they know who they know who they are. But um, with we all us, have them. We all have them. Yeah, yes, we do. Um, so there were thousands of packets that went through. They had a reserve uh, tryout and they had a, a um, an active duty tryout. So out of the thousands of packets, out of the two selection processes, um, sixty women were selected to go through the um, the uh, soft course up at JFK at Bragg. And then from there, 40 were separated, or 40 went with special forces, and then 20 of us went and supported the Rangers. So from there, breaking it down to, you know, and the entire time that we're going through this course, we're having instructors are constantly telling us, like, hey, you girls might think you're the best of the best, but uh, these guys, they hate you their wives hate you. Like they don't want, you're just going out there, you do your job and then you go ahead and just tuck yourself in bed because they don't want nothing to do with you. So we are having this like ingrained in our brains the entire time. But then, um, and this is like one of my favorite things. Uh, when we, the 20 of us went to go work with the Rangers, 
we had this huge truck, uh, like one of those cattle trucks that was filled with all our gear. And we had gear from like regular army. We had gear from regiment. Like we, I think each girl had maybe five duffel bags. So anyway, we're, we're at the little training site to go, um, uh, don or drop our gear and whatnot. And all these Rangers come out and they start unloading our stuff. And I just remember this and I was like, what? I'm like, why are you touching my stuff? Like, you guys hate us. But no, I mean, honestly, like, that's what, it's just, it was such an amazing thing to me is that these, these people are judged by their talent. They're judged not by who they are or who they think they are. They are judged on the, uh, during training, mission, and how they, their ability to get the job done. And that for me was fulfilling because I felt that the women I surrounded myself with and that I was deploying with were competent and we were, you know, top 20 goes with regiment. Um, like those, those are great people to surround yourself with. And like you said, like it does, it boosts your ego and it makes you feel like, you know, like, yeah, like I, I, I'm awesome. So anyway, like you, you, we deploy with these guys, you know, at the end of our, the eight months, uh, rotation, we sat down with general Votel and, you know, throughout the entire process, we're asking, like, what's going to become of this program? What's going to become of us? Like, how are we going to be implemented in the military? And, you know, this is such, we're such an asset to, um, you know, the mission and the mission success. And General Votel was like, he pretty much just said, like, high five, thank you for your service, and peace out. You know what I mean? Which, wow. on, it, like, it, it gutted a lot of us. Because, oh, I bet. You know, we, we had, like, aspirations of, coming back and doing these amazing things and so anyway when we got back like i think 13 of us came back um ashley of course passed and then uh a few of us um were just injuries that had to come back early so when we got back we went through i think it was a week of a retransition training i think because i was in the reserves they sent i think there was two of us three of us that sent to a reserve training place and then all the active duty girls like that we were like all you know blood went through this whole ordeal together they got shipped off back to their um their duty stations and then from there it was it went from 20 to 13 to 3 and then i flew back home to nevada to one to me you know what i mean and yeah one thing one thing that like you said like how is the transition of like coming back from like you're coming back from like top dog status knowing, you know, like these elite people are going out and doing these things. And I had never even known this. I would, I mean, people don't even, uh, folks in the regular army, they don't understand the mission set and the type of individuals like, yeah, they say that they're egotistical and they look down upon the rest of the army, but it's not that at all. It's like, you have to have that type of alpha male, alpha female attitude to stay alive. Right. And coming back from that type of mission Going back to Nevada, I like I was I was honestly I was gutted. I went from having a platoon of brothers constantly and to to just me. And for that alone was I would say for because you know women we don't have platoons of women that we can just call upon and you know go have a beer with because we're having a hard time. We're we're scattered amongst the the country in different units. And, and I, like you said, with the whole, um, the transition of it, they, 
you, you are, you're left alone, especially since this was a pilot program. They didn't really think of the aftercare. You're like, oh yeah, you guys can come try out again for the mission. But um, they, you pretty much just sat by yourself. And as far as um, the girls that went with special forces, they, uh, they, same deal. They went to, um, came back to the, uh, uh, states and then we're just first back to their regular units too so um i saw you writing about different organizations or asking about them <laughs> i don't know if you're trying to cue, cue no. me on something. I'm, I'm sorry i was i was actually cueing robert Kevin, but I, what I was okay i was like that's why i kept cutting off i'm like oh am i supposed to say and this? in the chat room we're talking about that, that, that we tend to we tend to group ourselves you know, uh, in, into light groups. So uh, Robert knows this about me. I've, I've started a monthly lunch with guys that have retired locally out of 10th group. And, um, and, and we get together and we, we kind of do a little bit of network, networking and a whole lot of storytelling and just a lot of camaraderie. And it, it kind of keeps us uh, connected to the unit and, and, and to each other. Right. Like, isn't that the best feeling? Like I always, cause we, you know, my husband's a uh, regiment here and he always has his buddies or we always go to barbecues and stuff. And, um, like that's all, that's what those guys do. And it's like, I, like, I'm so envious because I want to be able to just like join but, in. But like, Kathy, there are all those organizations, I mean, that, that people spread around the country, particularly if you're not around an installation, if you're around an installation, there's usually a great network of people that you can tap into. Um, you know, and, and your husband being from regiment, there are guys from regiment on every installation in the army right so so right. you can tap into that there's associations uh that are specific to the rangers and for us for special forces uh, that you can tap into in every region it doesn't matter if you're overseas man there there's a there's a, an association that uh, a group that you can meet and have lunch with and, and kind of just build that camaraderie um but for everybody who who goes back to to like the little farm town you're from uh, you know at least they've they've usually got a vfw or an american legion and and through that you you can sit with like-minded people right and and share experiences and it's not going to be the same the, the the women that you meet you know back at a farm town in Nevada are, are not going to be um you know the the people that you deployed with on well, the even CST's. the even and the it, women in the VFW is not are you oh, know those yeah they're going to be I, back I, to I, yeah the guys that I would meet if I go to Central Illinois are generally not going to be Green Berets but but we share something from all being service members. And I think that's important that, that if particularly if we're having these feelings that we can't connect in the local community. And, and I think um, some of that's our own responsibility to get over, you know, and, and it's hard. It's very hard. But but part of that is, is tapping into that older generation of folks who may be at the American Legion or the or, or the VFW and, and just maybe seeing how they've done it. No, I completely I completely agree. And, and that's one of the issues that. So when we got back, you know, we were so, um, I guess, kind of pushed aside because we couldn't blend in with our female veteran partners, um, regular army or whatnot. Uh, coming back to my unit, nobody had any idea what I was doing or, you know, all they thought was like, oh, you think you're cool because you deployed a special operation. No, it's and that wasn't the case. And that's and you're exactly right. It's like you have to stop looking at what other people have done and instead of you know, put them, try to be better or put them down, which is what the military has taught us a lot of is, Hey, you gotta, you gotta rise above, you gotta rise above that guy or the next guy, because you're always being watched is, you know, like you said, like tapping that older generation, tapping the, the young generation that's coming in that doesn't know about, you know, 
the, the last 10 years of our GWAT guys that have been, you know, hunting these people and finding them and, and, and killing them or doing bad things. <laughs> but, you know, that's, it, it's just stop comparing your stories and share your stories. And I think we'll, we would be so much better off as a community, as a veteran community, if we were willing to open, to put aside our, you know, soldier status or veteran status and, and, or, you know, special operations or this unit or on this unit or this unit and be like, Hey, let's just share everything. And I guarantee when we come to the end of it, all the hard trials and everything that we've had to go through, they're going to be the same or they're going to be similar and we're going to be able to relate to one another. So yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I think those organizations, like you said, the VSOs, American Legion, VFW, like they, it, it, it's just, you know, the guys that are coming out, you know, after the full 10 years, going and talking to them and opening their ears to what we've been through, because we don't know what they've been through back in Vietnam or shoot Gulf War or whatnot, you know, and seeing what's going on in the last 10 years and, and what to prepare for the new guys that are going to be coming in. Cause I mean, it's a whole nother generation too. So no, you, you nailed it right on the head. Well, you know, Elisa was going to be on the show. And one of the things that she was going to be talking about is a uh, organization called women veterans interactive. And um, their mission is really to kind of, to enhance the well-being of women veterans through advocate advocacy, empowerment, interaction, outreach, and unification. I know they, they're all over, um, they have 12 different states at least, um, that they cover and you can go out and find them on women, veterans, interactive, uh, WVI.org, uh, or women's, uh, veterans, interactive.org. And, um, they, they do a lot of different things. And Susan, you belong to an organization, uh, that the Marines have for women, um, as well. Maybe you can shed a little bit of light on that. As Yeah, so I belong to the Women Marines Association, and we have chapters in almost every state in um, the United States, and some states have more than one chapter. I started a chapter here in Columbus because we didn't have a chapter close to me, and basically the, the premise of the whole program is, one, to get women Marines together to share their camaraderie and share their stories, because there are not a lot of women Marines, you know, around the world. We're the smallest branch and we have the smallest percentage of ourselves in the Marine Corps. And then we also give out scholarships to college students. And, and as you can get us, you can apply to any scholarship as long as you're sponsored by a woman Marine. And then the biggest thing is we do community service for women in the VA. So we keep track of all of the hours that we do at any VA hospital, clinic, et cetera, so that, you know, we focus on we try to do women Marines first, but there's so few that are actually in care at the VA. Um, and here in Columbus, there are zero. Um, and when we went there and asked them, you know, like, why is that? And they said that women do not like to ask for help. Women don't self-identify their issues. They feel like they're second-class citizens as compared to the males that they served alongside. And... Um, so you found this same challenge last week during our mentoring uh, discussion. I mean, because you mentioned that it's challenging. Um, you would probably prefer to have a um, a female mentor over a male mentor, and it's challenging to find somebody that you could probably relate to in that sense to be truly a mentor and help you and guide you. Um, yes, because my last duty station in the Marine Corps, I worked alongside recon Marines, and there were 
you know, 20 or 30 of those guys and then me. And I was the only girl and I was always the fly on the wall because I would just observe these guys and how they interacted with each other. And then, you know, there were times when they said things to me that were inappropriate and I would laugh it off. But I would think, you know, in my head that they had viewed me similar to what Kat was told when she went on the CST team. These guys hate you. They don't want you around. So just keep your mouth shut. Do what you're told. Stay in the corner. And I obviously learned the same that she learned. They're not like that. Once you get in there and you're, you're talking to them, they treat you like an equal. As yeah, you long got as two you paddles back part. behind so you there. I, they gave you awards. They did. They, I got two paddles out of the deal. Um, and, and I think that at the end, I finally earned my place. Right. But I still, I still feel, though, like that second-class citizen. I think a lot of it is self-induced. Um, but it, it's just a difficult – and like Kat, I'm sure, coming back, you know, like she did way more in her short career than I did in my long career. And so I can just imagine the dichotomy of feelings that she had because – she was a part of it, but maybe she didn't feel like she was a part of it. She got told things, but then she found out that it really wasn't like that anymore. And it's just, it's a lot to deal with. And, and I still like, you know, I look at Mike, I hear him speak every week. He speaks very well. He has presence about himself. It's clearly that he's done something with his army career. And I think there's no way I can compete with that. Like he's just, he's up here and I'm down there. Yeah. And, and I know <laughs> that it's probably, you know, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. But I think women in the military do that to themselves. And yeah. that's why we struggle a totally. little bit harder with a lot of things because we always feel like we're still that second-class citizen. Well, or even, we feel like I can't ask a Green Beret to be my mentor or, or want a Green Beret as a mentor because I don't feel like he could help me because I'm not in the same arena as him, if that makes sense. Totally. And, I mean, you exactly. and Kat both experienced yeah. that. Go ahead, Kat. No, that's what I was thinking, um, you know, like when my husband and all of his buddies, like these are guys I've deployed with, guys I've shared missions with. I mean, literally was on the ground with them when things have happened. And I still feel like, no, I'm going to be, you know, like you said, the fly on the wall. I'm not going to contribute. I'm just going to go back because I, at times you do, you feel like a second class citizen because even though you were in, even though you were there, and you were involved and you, and you did see everything. It's still that you, you, you put that, like, it's not them. It's not the, like the Rangers are awesome. Like they were, they were the most awesome people to work with. Great personalities, very, you know, humble individuals. But for me putting myself, like you said, Susan, like you just, you put yourself in that position and you, you feed off of that. Like I can't, I can't, you know, join the conversation or I can't go ask for help because my, like with the whole, uh, military sexual trauma going in and even, and being like, I don't know what is wrong with me. And I remember a VA doctor told me, she's like, well, have you seen, did you see combat? I'm like, well, yeah, but that doesn't like, I, that's fine. Like I, I, I completely understand that people die, that my brothers in arms and my sister in arms have died. I get that. I have seen dead bodies. I have seen the aftermath of war over there, but that's not what's keeping me up at night. You know what I mean? And they, they still, they're just like, well, since you did see dead bodies, then we're just going to label this as PTSD. And it's like, you kind of, you just are like, well, but that's not the issue. Right. You know what I mean? So you, you do, you kind of, 
you don't want to be involved in that. And it's like, but I think too, with the way that the military is going, what, what, that's like an entirely different conversation. But I think that having, you know, just the status of, Hey, women will have the opportunity to, hopefully it will get rid of that. Hopefully it will allow women to be like, Hey, I did do this and I did contribute to this and stop putting themselves down and stop putting each other down too. Because honestly, I do feel like women veterans, women in the military are their own worst enemy. Cause Absolutely. I feel like yeah. the, the guys agree. that I worked with were awesome, but the women, I mean the girls too, that I went over there with the CSTs, they were great too, but coming back, Oh no, we, we will and destroy I, I, ourselves. We do. And I wonder if that is why, because you and I are not alone in that feeling. I mean, there, there's tons of women who have served in all branches who feel the same way. We, we all feel like that second-class citizen status. But I wonder if that is what contributes to why women are have a higher percentage of killing themselves and being homeless and all of that because they will not ask for help and they will not treat themselves like an equal. Mm-hmm. Or just or, or value their service. You know, it's, it's, we, we know that what we're capable of doing and we need to understand that if you fail, it's not, you know, don't put it on your gender or it's the, your own capabilities and you need to accept that. You know what I mean? And when it comes down to, um, you know, like you said, like if we were to just focus on our achievements, then I think that we would be off better off as a, as a unit of women rather than trying to individualize ourselves like, oh, I did this, but I'm not going to take credit for this because I'm female. So, right. And I still, even in these podcasts, I find myself saying, I will never be in the same arena with Mike because Mike had a 30-year career as a Green Beret. I was an admin chief in the Marine Corps. And I just, you know, I'm sure, and he does, he makes faces at me and he's telling me that I'm nuts, that my, my career was just as important as his career. We just happened to do different things, but I still, it's like, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, I just can't get over that thing. That's it's stopping me. You know what I mean? It was interesting Mm -hmm. too, you know, listening to the both of you, uh, you know, I can't, I think that and I think you hit on this, but I mean, if you were to ask your brothers in arms there, especially with the 75th Ranger Regiment, that um, how their perspective is of you, they would probably be shocked that you even brought the question up. Because in their eyes, they probably see you the same, just like Mike said, um, that he sees you the same as what you experienced and how you, um, you know, what what you went through and everything. There are a lot of similarities there, there are, like you had mentioned before, that common ground that'll always be there. It's just that self-confidence then, that then needs to come out, you know? No, I just like, you know, like with being in special, uh, like working with special operations, like you do, you be, you get this big ego and you're overly confident. But even when I was over there, like I was always, I, I'm not, like even though I'm in it, I'm not in it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even... Like, I know I'm the only girl out there. I got that. And, you know, these guys that I'm working with, the platoons, like, they're awesome. You know what I mean? But I would never, and it's the same, like you said, like, I I would compare myself to them, even though on paper, like, mission success, how CSTs contributed to mission success and, and brought in, you know, uh, you know, the enemy off the battlefield or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
it was there. It was there with numbers, black and white numbers, but still like you look at it and you're like, I'm it just, I like, I'm here as an enabler. And that was like the biggest thing is like, people are like, you're not a ranger. You're not a ranger. Or even with Ashley, like she's not a ranger. Like I got it. Like she didn't who, go. Who would say that? Rass- oh, it's, Oh man, it's all over. Like when we got back, <laughs> even just with a combat patch, yeah, you would have, we got, um, joint special, special operations command. For our combat patch, we were not allowed to wear the ranger uh, scroll. Yeah, ranger scroll for a combat patch, right. not for not for a ranger tab, but as a combat patch because right. you know it's just women will not wear that. Right? You no, know, they they just will not wear that. Right. You know what I mean? And that you you feel like even being around it, you're just like no, you know, like I I know I got it. Like I am not a ranger. I am enabler out here. You know what I mean? Like I right. understand my role, but you yeah you you just kind of you're like tippy toeing. It's like walking on eggshells. I always felt like I had to walk on eggshells around everything, even though like my accomplishments and my success rate is high. I still would always down, you know, downgrade any of that experience. And it, and it eats at you because you just like, like you said, when you come home and you're sitting there like, man, I was doing, I did all these awesome things. But then you start feeling like, Oh, all the, you know, yeah, but this, and I really didn't do this. And, you know, they killed all the people or they did all this and they got to wear all the cool gear. I'm just, you know, like I'm back here doing this. And that like feeding off that negativity is what happens. It's like you start shortchanging everything in your military career. And then it like, you, you think like you end up with nothing. Right. So then you're just sitting there. Like I have nothing else to give to contribute even to the military that I spent the last 10 years doing or 20, 30 years doing this. How am I going to contribute to the civilian side when I don't even know how to act around these people? You know, so well, such a fast transition. I mean, God, we, we you know, getting back to that, you know, I wanted to throw in there. It was like going 120 miles an hour and all of a sudden slamming on your brakes and trying to, to stop within five feet. It, it's just not going to happen. You know, inertia and the force and everything. And it seems like that's what they kind of thrust you into. They figured, okay, well, you're a part-time soldier you're a reservist therefore you should easily transition probably back to the private sector let's put you back through a week you know kind of breakdown probably you know ci you know cif type thing turning your your gear and you know feed you a couple of days and you know do all the stuff to transition you out of paperwork wise but then here you go you're gone because they probably figured you were going to survive rather quickly Oh, it was, it was the worst. And that's a huge, that is a huge reason why I got out because, and this is silly, when they separated us at Fort Bragg and I was on my own, I had to go out to all my appointments and yada, yada, just how messed up my brain was in one week time, time frame of me being there. I lost my wallet three times. <laughs> just, I was a scatterbrain. Like yeah. I, I remember I had to go to the MP station and had to file the same thing report over my ID card because I lost it. Three, six, and, you know, I was just like, man, I can, my brain just feels like, I feel like there's a little person in there that's like just wailing on my skull. Like, and I cannot get a hold of them. You know what I mean? They're just destroying me. And I knew like when I came back, just, I, I knew if I were to go back to active duty or to pursue something that was so intense without having, with not knowing what the other side was, where it was going to leave me, I, I, I know that my daughter wouldn't have been enough. And for me, it was like, Kat, you got to stop doing this stuff because you're, it's not helping you. So you need to stop. 
you know, you've, you've got to realize that the next year, two years, three years, you're going to be jumping through hoops like a crazy person and acting erratic at times, and your life is going to be a complete whirlwind of garbage. But you got to, you got to, that's what you're going to, that's what I knew that that is what I, like my next mission was. Because if I were to go back to active duty or to stay in, then I would just keep going into the same situation over and over and over again. And the outcome afterwards was going to be 10 times more horrendous. So for clarification, I mean, you just, you just got out last July, right? I mean, it was, or rather recently. So, I mean, you, Uh, you really haven't had a whole lot of time even now to a fully transition more than likely from what it is that you experienced or what you did and such. Um, Right. I, my, I was separated last July, but I went into the IRR um, when I returned from uh, that deployment back in two, at the beginning of 2013. And I, I'll tell you, the last two years were probably the two hardest years of my life, just having to get through it day by day with the, you know, trying to get assistance through the VA or just going to civilian doctors because they don't, they don't understand, you know. And if you if you try to, the worst thing is you can go in there and you tell them like, hey, I'm feeling this way. How do I stop feeling this way? This is that's what I want. Like I want that little guy that's inside of my brain to stop running around on a hamster wheel and just you know to let me take control again, you know. And it's like they when you go to the VA and they want to hear about every single thing and then they start picking at stuff and then they want to label you with this and you have this and then you're gonna have to be loaded with all these medication and then they want to put you on uh, I mean I swear the VA I'm like I feel like no offense to old people but man <laughs> I feel like I have an old person's medicine cabinet because they I mean every single day I have UPS oh you know cat these are for you and it's like i have so many things of naproxen like i my liver is like shriveling up inside you know and, it's, and that's not the root of the cop like yeah the answer no like, totally not we got we got to get we got to get inside these vets brains and that's we the best thing is like what we're doing right now is just talking about it and someone's gonna listen to this and be like yeah i have that little guy that's running around in my brain too and you, you know what, I'm going to go straight to these mentors and find assistance because I'm not going to deal with this for the next two years. You know, after the whole rape situation, it took me eight years to figure it out for myself. And I, I would lay my life down for any other veteran, male or female, to not have to waste eight years of their life to do that because it is, yeah, it's, you just need the help. And we're like, you're there. Like you guys are doing this for us. And it's well, awesome. Listen, like, I, Kat, you are a pretty strong woman yourself. I mean, um, you know, the, the things that you've gone through, the struggles that you've had, um, I think you're a great mentor and a great example of, um, you know, kind of going through this, realizing the struggles that are real um, and that, you know, that it takes sometimes, I don't know, it takes a village it, it takes an army. It takes, you know, a group of individuals. Uh, but having someone like you that's been there and done that, I think you're a great role model and a great example for others. Um, and I'm sure those that are going to be listening to this podcast, especially those women who are like yourself and Susan that struggle with some of these issues, um, hopefully this will give a lot of, you know, comfort uh, to them to know, okay, you know, I'm not alone in this. You know, it's great. Well, it, what's awesome is that it's just temporary. You know what I mean? Like this is this part of your life that 
hurts so much and that is so heavy. Like this will be the heaviest time of your life. And I'm not going to lie to you or sugarcoat it at all, but you're going to, you're going to get through it. And asking for help is not, is it's not weak. Right. We're, we've all been there. You know what I you mean? You got to get out it's of the suck weak. it up attitude. I mean, I used to use that with yeah. my uh, kids all the time, you know, uh, but it's the same thing. I mean, we constantly think that and you've got to get out of that. You got to break that mold. And you really got to reach yep. out and ask. And I think that's for anything, whether it's, you know, things we've talked about as simple as looking for employment or a career change. But sometimes it's just needing a friend and somebody to be yeah. in there. And, you know, and you're struggling and you've got to have a network of individuals that are going to be there um, and, and be willing to help you out. And that's kind of that support group. I want to kind of hit on, too, though, the, some of the things that you're working on right now, because you're involved in the Miss Veterans um America, I guess is what it is, um, 2016, whose platform this year, I take it, is on ending homelessness. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, so Miss, it's actually kind of ingenious. Miss Veteran America competition uh, was created by Final Salute Incorporated. Um, so the competitors are veterans across the board. It doesn't, from any service, any female veteran. If they decide they want to do the competition, um, and they can be on active duty or a veteran, right? That's right. you can be deployed. Okay. Yeah, you can you can be active duty. You just have to get um, your commander to sign off on it. But so Final Salute Incorporated is a um, their mission is to they want to end homelessness for women veterans and their children. So their biggest. Um, their biggest way of raising funds and uh, just awareness is through the Miss Veteran America competition. So not only do you have women veterans who are, we all, we're such a small percentage of, you know, the military in general, and then um, just a community, like civilian-wise or veteran community-wise, we don't know each other. So this competition not only is advocating for homeless veterans and their and their children, which I think is awesome, but they're bringing together women veterans. So um, as part of your campaign, of course you're bringing awareness to um, the issue of homeless veterans. So homeless veteran, female veterans, are twice as likely to become homeless than their our male counterparts and four times as likely to become homeless than civilian women. So... Um, which is just is insane to me. And yeah, if you look bottom. at yeah. um, just the statistics, like across the board, yes, there's shelters out there, but there's never any, you know, a lot of shelters are mixed. A lot of shelters are, and it comes right back to the whole uh, community thing, uh, community of, of women veterans who, you know, that are going through the same thing. So having, um, you know, you're going through this, this part in your life, this transition that left you homeless, but, if you could have a place to go with your children, you know, you served also, but then you're surrounded by people that are going through the same um, issues as you and that understand that this is a temporary point in your life. Like that's, that's why this is, this campaign is, it's not so much of the competition, but just raising awareness for this is so important. So anyway, um, the competition, they have regionals for, um, and for East Coast is in Arlington, and then the West Coast is in um, Las Vegas. So what's great, though, about these regionals is that the women that have decided to run, we all come 
to the regionals for that weekend. And then not only are you, you know, you're campaigning for this great, this great cause, but you get to meet all these women new network who have served. Yes. And they're your, like, like Susan, like you, you could do it. Like go 2017, you know, Miss Better in America. Like you would, you, it, it is, it's just, it's an amazing thing for you to like, you served and you served and, you know, you can go there and just, there's a community right there. Like you just found all these women that you, you know, that you can rely on if you need to. So, um, what, what interests me into doing this, cause I, I knew, I didn't know so much about the, the epidemic of homelessness. Um, I, for me, I was going through the transition myself. So, and like I said, I had the support system, right? I had somebody who said, you can, you can be weak and that's fine, but there are veterans out there that it's not fine. They have to keep going through it and then they're left with nothing. So, um, you know, I hadn't heard of it. And the way that I did find out about it was, um, so Ashley White's mom and, and Gail, she was the keynote speaker at last year's, the 2015, um, competition the finals and they posted some things on facebook and i'm like well what is this you know let me check it out so i'm like oh so i i decided to run in honor of ashley because um you know that's just the type of person that she is and i feel like uh it's just it's just so important and now that i've actually i started it back in january now that i've really been like researching it and digging into it like it's huge and and it's and it's an issue and it's not just you know it's not just something that you kind of think about on, you know, like you see all these old vets out there and they have their little world war two hat or something. And you would never expect to see a young female with just some children asking for change who actually went, you know, was in the war at the beginning in 2001 or, um, you know, was a GWAT soldier for 10 years. So it, you know, it, a big thing is about raising awareness and right now, Final Salute Inc. has um, 15 shelters across the nation uh, for women veterans, and I, and the numbers are growing. And they're like resources-wise, like they help with the transition, they help with resources, they help if like women veterans are starting to struggle. Like they, you can call them and say, hey, you know, like I'm I'm having a hard time, and they're they're going to be there for you. So it's a great cause. And I'm really, I'm really honored to be a part of it and to be a semifinalist, which is awesome. But, um, yeah, that's just one of the, the starting things that I'm working on right now. Uh, it's really good because I, um, you know, you mentioned about the four times more likely, but, um, I also found statistics on a previous podcast show where women are more likely to find employment, uh, upon separation than their male counterparts. But yet they're, you know, in researching about um, what you're doing in terms of homelessness, I found that women veterans are four times more likely than men to become homeless. So when you think about that, they either go from hero to zero. It's one of those things where you're either going to go out there and you're going to be real successful or your chances might be just as great to become homeless. It's That was so interesting to me. Right. And a lot of it, too, like I, I said about um, when I went in to see the VA about my whole MST situation, they don't know how to handle that. And I know, um, uh, well, I don't know exactly, but I know that it does happen to both male and female and the resources are not available. The stigma is so high and they, you know, like it, it, like I said, it took me eight years to be like, cat, like 
it's okay. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you are not your experience. You know what I mean? And it, like, I would hate for some other vet to have to deal with that. So to actually get to the point where, you know, you're so, you come into this transition, especially after such a hor- horrific event were to happen, you're left to the streets and then you go to a shelter where, you know, bad, bad things happen in shelters. Yeah. You know, that there was, um, uh, one of the stories on the Final Slew Inc. website is how a lot of women that may be MST survivors, they go, they become homeless, they go to these shelters, and then this, it continues to happen. And My it's, gosh. and it's, that's horrific. It is, yes. uh, and it's uncalled for and unnecessary. So, um, yeah, having, having just an outlet like that is extremely important, especially how, for how high MST is in the, um, the military. How, how <clears throat> does um, one really kind of support these efforts? I mean, so um, is there a, spe- a specific site or like if, you know, people wanted to sponsor yourself or another um, Miss Veteran, what are the ways that you can find that and, and you go about supporting? Well, um, so as part of the Miss Veteran campaign, you have to set up a Facebook page as well as a, a Twitter account. So to follow me on Twitter, which I'm, I'm new to Twitter. Twitter was kind of a, a weird thing for me, especially if you can't just run your mouth on there. You're, you're only limited. So, um, yeah. I, I, uh, so my Twitter account is at MVA2016, uh, and it's K-A-T-K. So at MVA2016, K-A-T-K. And then... Um, and you'll see a, a goofy picture with me and um, Ashley's in it, our interpreter, and two other gals that I served with. Um, and then on Facebook, hold on, it's a long one. <laughs> um, I think we've got it in the chat can, room here. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah. Facebook.com, MVA 2016 Cat K, and then it's slash right. uh, question mark F R E F equals ts what i'll do is i'll tweet that out uh for those that are interested (laughs) yeah and i'll i'll not only do that but i think we've got an automatic link as well on the mentors for military uh facebook page uh with one of the pictures that we put up there that you can click but i'll also make sure that i put it on the um all the pages and contact information including the podcast that we put up on the mentorsformilitary.com website that way they can get in contact with you and follow you and um you know support you on your efforts um, and as well as all the MBAs, look out there at all the Miss Veterans um, that are running for Miss Veteran uh, America. And um, absolutely, you'll see if you go if you uh, Facebook MVA 2016, you're going to see all the women, and you can follow all of their um, all of their uh, stories and journeys throughout this whole thing. But it, one of the biggest things for our campaign is the fundraising for Final Salute, and all of us um, that are campaigning are. Uh, are you can donate to our crowd crowd rise website which i believe is listed um i'm not sure if you got that listed or i can shoot it to you if i you don't like. but we can put but it up yeah because it's on your twitter page isn't it a connection I right think. it's the crowdrise.com slash mba 2016 cat k and the goal for um for each uh competitor is to raise five thousand dollars which a lot, some of the girls are actually very close to doing, which is absolutely awesome. But I think, I really think if, you know, we get the awareness out and target this issue, we can raise way more than that. But, um, if people c- could just throw that coffee money 
to the website, that would be awesome because it helps so much. So, yeah, I kind of cut my lattes short for the week. Ugh, I, yeah, I would say, Kat, more than <laughs> more than just just throwing your coffee money away. It, it, you you mentioned this, I think, way back on your Facebook page, and I'm I'm following both your Facebook and your Twitter that you didn't feel comfortable asking people to donate. And um, oh my you know, gosh. I I do some fundraising <laughs> for a couple of causes, and, and yeah, I, I think a lot of people do that, and and you've got to get over that hump of of feeling like you're asking for something you're not. Yeah. People look for this kind of cause to Absolutely. donate to. People want to give to this. So flood your network. I'm flooding mine with your stuff. Uh, Vic Felker's in a chat room. He he asked for your information. He's going to flood it. As as many people as we can get to understand the platform of Misfit America, uh, that will just help your cause. It'll help all the contestants' cause, and it's going to help the platform. Oh, that, that, thank you so much for bringing that up because that, that was a huge reason I feel like through this healing process of mine is – you know, even though I'm not serving in the military still, like I, I still have the means to serve, you know, like I'm not just right. a floppy fish. Like I, I want to serve my fellow veterans. I want to serve my community. And, um, and I, I really like, that was the hardest thing. I was like, you're like, cat, you're going to have to go ask for people's help. Like you got to <laughs> go out there and do this. And, you know, I, I try to word, <laughs> I try to word it to where I, it doesn't make me feel so like uneasy but like you said like people they want to contribute to this they they like people out there don't want to see our vets on the street and i feel like if we can raise the awareness and and raise the cause and just put it out there like it's going to help so much even with like you said just people going out to other resources you know the vfw or um american legion or whatnot to to lean on one another instead of you know not asking for help which well, think about it this way. There's 22 million veterans that are out there. So if each of them gave $1, that's $22 million. So, I mean, again, there's a you big network out there. You <laughs> <laughs> But there is a huge network out there. And I think sometimes it might be just bringing an awareness that you are a veteran because as women, um, maybe it's not as recognizable with guys. You know, sometimes there's a certain way you walk. There's a certain way you carry yourself that people can identify with. They don't usually look for that in a, in a woman when they're walking or like, oh, okay, you know, they must be, um, you know, Susan talked about the way the square shoulders and all that she had to work and they identified uh, at the very beginning uh, with their military experience. But it is a challenge sometimes to spot women veterans. It's not a badge that you guys always wear. Um, you know, you're not wearing always the hat or the whatever, like, you know, I'm wearing now or what. And we don't have beards. And you don't have the beard, yeah. No. So, uh you know, which you, <laughs> I know which, when I got out of the military, I cut all my hair off. I'm like, I don't have to wear a bun anymore. I could dye my hair pink if I want to. You know, like I, I am going against the whole scheme of things. But, you know, you try, it's funny because, like, when you're out, it's like, I want to look as less military as I, I possibly can, you know? And, yeah, we talked about that actually I, in a previous podcast about the whole stickers, uh, the I love me on the back. You know, you got the Ranger, you got the pair, yeah. you know, the whole. Uh, pathfinder you got everything your whole 201 file yeah. we called it on your uh your back window you know oh god yeah <laughs> i have to wait at least until i'm 60 to do that I, i'm like keeping it low-key so your husband doesn't <laughs> have the I, scroll on the back of his window of oh, his car god no oh okay no. if i i always wanted to put that like my other half is in afghanistan or to post that all over his page or whatever and he just he just shakes his head at me he's like don't you have, like, don't you have. <laughs> 
well, I'm I'm glad that you came on the show, Kat. And uh, you know, tonight's topic was really important in so many different levels because not only is it about transition, but it's also about just uh, developing that support network, knowing that there's a program that's out there for you. Google is amazing. If you go out there and start searching, you're liable to find all kinds of organizations that are set up to help veterans as they transition or um, in trying to get back into society. And um, that we talked about the VSOs and those types of things. Uh, but preparation for life after the military is so very important as well. Planning is key. We've talked about it in previous podcasts. And a veteran who separates and doesn't have a strong support group to assist them isn't probably prepared for the transition. So it's part of the planning process and beginning very early. Build that network of military and non-military to help you support, uh, get that support through your transition and also into your next career because it's not something that we mentioned that's one and done. Veterans love to give back, um, even things like we're doing right here. Um, it's brought to you by veterans who really just want to share the information and share their stories and try to help other veterans be more successful. Um, and if you enjoyed your service and camaraderie and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in arms while you're in, then try to find ways to give back yourself. Um, you know, Kat mentioned the way that she's doing this with this program and with other things. Um, mentoring others uh, or finding community outreach programs are great ways uh, to give back within your local communities and, uh, you know, support those who are coming off active duty. So I uh, appreciate everybody that came out into the uh, the Mixler uh, live page chat room this evening. And uh, if you didn't join us, make sure you do um, this coming Wednesday uh, when we, we'll be back on again live. And join us, uh, create an account at MIXLR.com. Go out to our MentorsForMilitary.com uh, page and uh, follow us on there of some of our services as well as the other podcasts if you haven't had a chance to listen to those yet. And uh, on behalf of Susan, Mike, and Kat, I uh, appreciate everybody uh, for joining us this evening on this show, um, and we hope you guys have a great day.